All right. So here we are back again with Little Miss Tritium. But the first story is, of course, the biggest one, DEFCON. DEFCON and Black Hat are going to be both virtual and physical. So we will have an opportunity to go to Vegas this summer if you want to, and I imagine I will. Everyone's going to have to be vaccinated and wear masks, although apparently Black Hat is not going to require that you're vaccinated. I don't understand requiring people to be vaccinated anyway. But anyway, there will be some physical components, but the talks will all be pre-recorded. Anyway, um, there will be some physical component to the conference, and I'm looking forward to that, I think. So then we got, uh, we'll go down to Caitlin with uh, the NSA's surveillance program. Yes, uh, so uh, Tutanota, I don't know who this is, um, have an article uh, going over the NSA phone surveillance program. And it was very legal, very expensive, um, but essentially what the NSA did is, is they sort of tapped into AT&T and T-Mobile and they, they got as much data as they could. And they did mass surveillance with the idea that it was going to stop terrorism. And I mean, in theory, I mean, having the ability to wiretap someone instantly, if you think they're a terrorist, I mean, that, that does sound like a good idea on the surface. However, um, there's no evidence it actually stopped a single terrorist attack after almost 20 years. Uh, so it turns out we spent all this money, did all this uh, surveillance, and we didn't really get anything out of it. So it looks like that will be the end of it. It looks, or, or at least that's the public statement. I mean, they're saying they're going to get rid of it, but we'll see. Have they actually ended the mass surveillance yet? No, they haven't. Uh, they haven't yet, but it's there's yeah. Um, it looks it looks like you know there's there's no reason to keep throwing money at this. So. It does rather feed into your paranoid conspiracy ideas that the real reason they did it for some other reason which is uh, there's good reason to believe that is true when you're talking about the nsa and those agencies so yeah yep i know uh, back in uh martin luther king's day they really did meddle with internal politics and crush black groups with this kind of tactic and i wonder if they're doing it now if they are it's not working very well i mean they could do something about the mass supremacists about the white supremacist groups that are blowing things up <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, a, a lot of um, a, a lot of the racism coming from our government is structurally built in, and yeah. it's and it's oftentimes deployed very directly through um, policing agencies like you know the police and the NSA and the FBI. Yeah, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Just you know. Yeah, yeah. Controversial to. <laughs> That's not controversial with me, although I know. Uh, when I was giving a workshop, there was some guy that uh, got really mad because I said. Okay, and here's like the Russians hacking us in the last election. He said, the Russians didn't hack us. You're lying. You're promoting liberal conspiracy theories and stuff. But I said, well, you know, I don't personally know the Russians attacked us. I'm going by what I found in the New York Times. Right. Um, and, and speaking, since we're on the topic, the U.S. just uh, criticized Russia, slapped them on the, on the wrist for, for the recent hacking attempts, and kicked, called them out by names. And kicked 10 of them out and revealed that the... Uh, the, uh, the, I heard on Rachel Anno, you're very nice. They actually came up with the exact chapter and verse of the Trump team collaborating with the Russians, which they couldn't come up with during the impeachment. But now they totally have that shown, exactly what they gave the Russians to collaborate with them. Oh, very nice. Very good. So I, I don't know if they can impeach him again. I think not. But now the evidence has finally come out that the Democrats were entirely right to impeach him the first time, but they didn't have the proof at the time. Anyway, um, so here's the impact. Here's those Biden sanctions. So let's hear about it, Alan. Yes. Yeah, speaking of, 
The yeah. Biden administration is taking the whole solar winds and the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and Crimea seriously, and has now put some sanctions on the Russian government, additional sanctions on the Russian government. And it's pretty extensive as these things go, but it's simply a, really a bargaining tactic. Um, maybe I shouldn't even call these sanctions extensive. Really, they amount to um, preventing U.S. banks from purchasing Russian government bonds, which they the banks don't do in, in large quantity anyway. Yeah, I would think But not. it will impact the Russian government's ability to raise funds and will probably affect interest rates a bit. Uh, and also, the Biden administration is sanctioning a number of uh, half a dozen companies that are affiliated with the Russian government, and they are mostly cybersecurity companies, um, companies that I've never heard of, actually, but apparently they, they do have some significant in the whole axis of Russian government and uh, cybersecurity contractors. Yeah, so it doesn't so, sound like it's going to scare Putin into uh, the No, and the, the Biden administration's taken pains to make clear that they do not want to jeopardize any future negotiations or discussions. It's simply a response to Russian aggression. That's how they're framing it. Yeah, well, unless we really want to have a war with Russia, I'm not sure what else we can do. Yeah, yeah. I think they don't want to escalate the situation too much, but they at least need to indicate that the U.S. means business. So quite a contrast to the Trump administration's response to the, these types of situations in which usually Trump would deny that Russia had any involvement whatsoever. Yep. All right. Yeah. And I see Liz is here. So wanna, we should talk about these new crab shells. Are you ready, Liz? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. There. Uh, this was an interesting story. Um, wherein we've talked about this before actually with other with other governments doing this where uh an, an attack will happen and then their defensive agencies will actually just go on to infected machines and uh remove the problem without the knowledge or consent of the uh end users and it ha that's what happened here. And I, it's not entirely, I'm not entirely sure that it's a bad thing in this case. Uh, the FBI um, removed compromised, um, removed web shells from compromised machines where folks had um, exchange servers running. Um, and, and we talked about last month, some of the, some of the issues that were going on there in terms of, uh, those getting hacked so uh the fbi actually did something helpful this time and um hit a bunch of the infected machines and took care of it for folks well i wonder how often they make a mistake and delete the code that they thought was a backdoor but that was actually your brilliant code right <laughs> i imagine and i imagine a lot of this is automated yep um they do say in the in the article uh, in the first article that uh, uh, the FBI personnel uh, will access them and um, make it make an evidentiary copy. 
for forensics evidence later and uh, then uh, delete oh. the delete the web shell. So well, hopefully doesn't that sound like it violates the Fourth Amendment and everything? I mean, here they go on your machine and take a bunch of stuff with no search warrant or anything. They did get a warrant, actually. How could it possibly approve that? Ah, uh, great question. How could they even know that you're in the right uh, jurisdiction or anything? We approve and <laughs> not exactly. Not only that, but they also uh, uh, the the warrant included a provision allowing the FBI to delay providing notice to uh, the people whose exchange servers were being searched. Which that part really surprised me, <laughs> and a lot of other folks too, I'm sure. <laughs> this really sounds like Big Brother looking at you through your TV. Yeah. Oh, okay. They got to delay th delay it 30 days. Even so. Uh, that's pretty. Uh... And so next time a thing pops up saying the FBI found pornography on your machine, it might not be lying. Hey. Exactly. <laughs> Boy, I don't They're know. Pro it's probably lying. So don't like go give them money or something. That's that's pretty uh, problematic in a lot of ways. You know, when Amazon reached onto people's Kindles to pull back a book saying, oops, we didn't have the right to sell that book. Everybody freaks. They can go on my Kindle. They can take my stuff. This is an outrage. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, man. Hope you didn't backdoor your own web server, because uh, good luck. <laughs> now, what kind of person would do a thing like that? Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. And uh, let's see. Then I think we've been to here. So back to me. Right. So uh, this is a story that a couple people chose. I ended up with it. So the FBI unlocked that iPhone from San Bernardino years ago. And I thought they hired Celebrite to do it. But it turned out they hired Azimuth, an Australian firm which is the same company that then made the software to emulate iPhones. And there's quite an argument back and forth or what they should have done. And, and they sold, anyway, they sold the FBI an exploit to get onto the iPhone. And then within a couple of months, somebody else found it and told Apple and they passed it. So it wasn't any good anymore. So the FBI paid a million bucks or 900,000 bucks for an exploit, which only worked for a few months. And I thought it was very interesting. Katie Mo had a Twitter thread about this. She was the person that made the bug bounty program at um, Microsoft and is a real expert in bug bounties and vulnerability disclosure. And she says, this is why you should not condemn people who sell zero days. She said, you know what, what, what she says is the FBI was trying to force Apple to backdoor their entire product line in court. And they might've been able to do that except for this heroic researcher that sold a zero day to the FBI so they didn't have to do that. So she said, when you sell zero day exploits to government agencies, you might very well be benefiting the world. You're not a terrible person destroying security. You might be upholding security. And it is, uh, but she says, it has nothing to do with morality. That's why um, it's a very interesting issue. You know, if you find a zero day and you sell it to somebody, are you making the world better or worse? Well, it's not simple at all. You might be making it better. You might be making it worse. Anyway, that's a, Topic of endless argument. When you find a vulnerability, who should you tell? Who should you sell it to? How long should you hide it? There's no easy answers to any of these things. Anyway, then we got Liz with the Facebook loophole. Yes, uh, this was pretty bad. It was uh, there. An investigation turned up uh, just how 
much uh, Facebook has been used uh, by world leaders to manipulate uh, um, and deceive the public. Starting with our election in 2016, I think. Yeah, and, and at the time, I remember, too, like so many people saying, oh, that's there's no way any of that's happening. That's just a, a, a BS leftist conspiracy theory. Uh, the Russians didn't interfere. And people were still saying it during the 2020 election. Oh, they didn't. The Russians never, uh, never interfered with our election, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't matter how much evidence, concrete evidence you can show to the contrary. It's all just still a leftist plot <laughs> as far as some folks are concerned. Um, I'm not so convinced, uh, especially when we read stories like this, um, because we've seen it again and again. Um, over time, uh, ways that this has happened. I mean, you know, the Cambridge Analytica thing is a, is a great example of exactly how that happened. But I think that ignorance is bliss for some folks. So uh, here's a little more incontrovertible evidence uh, that uh, uh, the, this, these things have been used in um, to manipulate uh, elections here and elsewhere, not just in the U.S. too. There have been other instances of this abroad, um, but uh, and 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 it's interesting too because they've got insiders who worked there at the time saying this stuff, and you know when they <laughs> complained about, you know maybe this isn't so ethical, they got fired. <laughs> <laughs> so. Another insider whistleblower. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. Philip Wiley. Yeah. That's, I think it's undeniable. I mean, I think everybody pretty much knows what Facebook did. I was just listening to uh, the Maya Culpa podcast, and this guy was talking about gerrymandering, and it kind of helped me understand this because there's a crazy thing in America how something can have like 80% support and then it can't get through the government. And he said it's because they've gerrymandered. So everybody is in safe districts. So they know it's a Republican district. They don't have to they have no problem in the general election. So the only thing they fear is the primary. So all of our representatives are chosen not by a majority of the people, but by the majority of their party's primary voters who are much more radical. So everybody has to radicalize to the max to win the primary because the general is not competitive anymore. And that's why he's saying, you know, this HR1 bill that would reform our elections would greatly restore our democracy back. And other nations have been saying, you know, you guys claim to be a democracy, but your president didn't win the majority and you put him in anyway. And that's our whole government system is more and more that way, where the, the I've noticed the leaders do not represent the people anymore. No. And I mean, that's strange. you know, neither do people think like Facebook is just some harmless diversion. It's not. I mean, Clearly, it's a profitable part of their business model to do this crap, so they do it. And and I mean, you know, the, the story of this particular whistleblower is really good. It reminded me a lot of the the Google AI ethics uh, team members that yeah. got turfed out for you know wanting to include ethics yeah. in AI. This person had been hired by Facebook to root out fake engagements, uh, which is exactly how, um, you know, that's how the, most of this manipulation happens is there lots of sock puppet accounts, um, the bot farms that are just, you know, ratcheting up likes, posts, et cetera, 
to uh, get the momentum on the platform. And this person had been specifically hired to find that stuff. And then when she did, uh, they're like, no, uh, we, th th that's too much. We're going to fire you for fake, for bad performance. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, my ex-wife was an undercover narc and was hired at a major medical company to find out who was stealing the drugs. But when she found that it was not the clerks in the supply room stealing the drugs, it was the doctors stealing the drugs. They said, shop, 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 shop. The doctors go in the hospital. We're not going to do anything about this. In fact, you did a terrible job. And, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> when you find the truth, they're like, no, that's why I saw a post on Twitter. And this guy said, I've been saying for years we need an atheist president. Then I get Donald Trump. And I'm like, no, not like that. That's <laughs> Anyway. Yes. Anyway, uh, all right. And so then Caitlin's got the monkey-human hybrid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> scientists have, uh, well, according to this article by Global News, and you, that's a name you can totally trust, <laughs> globalnews.ca. Um, uh, they, uh, some scientists have essentially put human stem cells uh, in close proximity with macaw um, cells, and they reproduced, and they're growing. Um, now, keep in mind, this is just, you know, a few cells. They haven't made an actual creature or anything like that. But it's a good step forward in demonstrating how we can in the future perhaps use animals to create uh, organ transplants, Yeah, which is really exciting. Um, it would be great to be able to just grow. If you need a new lung or a new kidney, just grow one in a, in a lab or an animal and, and harvest it like you would last night's dinner. And you could make super soldiers that are half rhinoceros, like in Warhammer and stuff. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Uh, and of course, some, some people are whining about ethics or something, but. Yeah, just ignore them. Just yeah, keep, exactly. keep, making the, keep making the chimeras, people. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then Alan's got, uh, yeah, this image decoding. I want to hear an explanation of this. It was hard for me to understand what's going on. So this is a very technical, very, very technical area of computer science. But the Chromium browser project has just uh, implemented support for JPEG XL, which is an all new image codec. It's another way of compressing images. And uh, it's much more efficient than the previous generation of image codecs, such as a plain old JPEG or TIFF or PNG or GIF especially. And uh, what we're looking at now is the next generation of image codecs and uh, they're far more efficient. It's not just JPEG XL, but others such as WebP and HEIC. And uh, so we're kind of entering into a period of uh, uh, image codec, uh, kind of a image codec war almost. Not that there's as much at stake as uh, with the, uh, the browser wars, but it's a, just an interesting development because uh, for one thing, this means that images are going to be looking better eventually, and uh, they will be much smaller. So I don't know how much of the global internet is taken up by JPEG traffic, but um, JPEG XL is going to reduce images, uh, the size of images by at least 20%. So that's going to be significantly less traffic just for images. Oh, well, that, now I finally understand this Twitter thread you linked to. This guy has got pictures that look like wallpaper and they're only like 
100 bytes blood size. That's right. Yeah, or 75 bytes, not kilobytes, no, I, bytes. That's and as John Snyers was was responsible for developing the um, or co-developing the a, a predecessor codec, and he's handcrafted these images. So it's not uh, real world images wouldn't necessarily be this small. But yeah, it's amazing just how tiny these images are, and yet they're pretty rich in terms of color and shapes and and so on and so forth. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. You know, they really need to like write an article because all they have is like a GitHub repository full of code. They don't explain any of this. Yes, it's true. Uh, I don't claim to understand this stuff very well myself. Well, I'm it, glad you explained it that much. I often tell students, you know, this is why we need like... Uh, documentation and PR people and non-technical people in technology, you need someone to actually write English telling you what's going on. Yeah, and anything having to do with um, image codecs or video codecs, it just, it gets so complex so fast that I think very few people understand them, even in computer science. It's such a obscure niche and yet it is so important. Yeah. Well, it, you just need PR teams. I remember I went to a conference and all the smartest people in the world were crowded at the front watching this talk and I couldn't hear it. And all the slides were nothing but a page of, of tiny code I couldn't see. And I think it was the most awesome thing on earth, but I still have no idea what it was. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and there ought to be a rule at every con where your first slide has to be no equations, English, in like simple terms, what did you do and why should I care? You know, you boil it down to, yes. I can hack this, I own the world. I think yes, it was, they yes. found a new PDF vulnerability they could take over anything, but I'm only guessing because there was nothing remotely resembling uh, a one-liner there. Anyway. Yes. Well, the takeaway here is at some point, images over the internet are going to be better looking and they're going to be smaller. Well, that's good. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sounds All right. And this one is the one I thought was so great. I need the episode after it. Little Miss Tritium. So Japan has got his Fukushima, this reactor got destroyed by tidal waves and they've been trying to clean it up. And now they've decided they just can't clean it up. They've got like millions of gallons of radioactive water. It was too much bother to find anything good to do with it. So they're just going to dump it in the sea. They're going to start dumping it out in two years. And over 20 years, they're going to dribble it out into the sea. And so in order to assuage, you know, there might be some people in Japan that make their living off of fishing or something and are kind of opposed to this. So the government has been issuing propaganda saying, oh no, everything's fine. The radioactivity won't hurt you. Everything will be just fine. There's nothing to worry about. And so they made a cartoon with this cute little character called Little Miss Tritium dancing around saying, I'm happy Tritium dumped in the ocean and everything is wonderful and it's all good for you and stuff. And then they finally actually retracted this one saying, uh, this isn't turning out to be as helpful in convincing people that this is harmless as we thought. But it does remind us of one they did 20 years ago in the 90s called a plutonium kid or something. Uh, Plutocon, this cute little guy with a plutonium helmet to encourage you that, that building plants like Fukushima is going to be fine and nuclear power is harmless. And they made a cartoon with a little kid drinking a glass of plutonium saying, no, mm, this is fine. <laughs> And at that time, they didn't retract it. But this is like, you know, the United States had our reefer madness and our uh, pro-atomic energy stuff in the 50s of happy little dancing cartoons saying, oh, nuclear power, our friend. So anyway, uh, 
they are going to really dump that radioactive water in the sea. They claim they're going to treat it and it'll really be okay. But, you know, some people might possibly doubt that you can trust the government on these issues. Anyway. I just, I, I just that seems like such a bad idea. Well, the, the fact is they've got all that water. They can't really contain it. They've tried to build concrete walls. They've tried to freeze the ground to hold it in. The fact is it's going to leak into the ocean anyway. It was probably a really bad idea to build nuclear plants on the island of Japan where they're going to get hit by tidal waves and earthquakes and stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, probably also a bad idea to use a, a cartoon character to promote this idea. That seems to have... That the time for that sort of propaganda has come and gone. You know what they ought to do is just target Facebook ads to manipulate people. They're out yes. of <laughs> It's clearly effective. It's much better than the dancing cartoon characters. So yeah, yeah, create a, a fake uh, nuclear workers who tell everyone how great it is to to work with uh, nuclear power and nuclear materials yeah. all day. <laughs> Yes, it worked for Amazon. Amazon yes, that's won the yeah. vote and nuked the union. They convinced everyone, oh, no, you're happier without a union. Unions are bad. And it worked. So anyway, the GCHQ, what's this deal with Microsoft 365, Liz? Okay, so uh, a British member of parliament uh, publicly claimed, and, and GCHQ disputes this, but... He claimed that he was told that Gmail is more secure than uh, the government's own um, Microsoft three, uh, Office 365 uh, uh, deployment. Um, and they well, denied could, this. Well, that uh, could yeah, be true. It could be. I was thinking the same. It could be true. But they're like, no, no, uh, we, we, that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, uh, just use the stuff we're telling you to use. Uh, uh, you know, I, where 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 would this come from? And um, you know, I, I could see him being told this by somebody. Uh, however, um, one one sort of interesting feature to this story is that this particular minister of parliament has been the target of various attacks because he has been very outspoken um, about the situation in China uh, with the Uyghur um, uh, Muslim minority that's been uh, the target of the Chinese government uh, recently. So they have really been going after this guy at every uh, opportunity. So uh, interesting, interesting times we live in. Yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I would suppose they're probably equally secure in general, but one issue probably is the official government server is, of course, monitored and archived by official government agencies. And that's why there was the big controversy over Hillary Clinton's email. I was talking yes. about this in lecture yesterday. I mean, if you you were doing official business, you should be using only the official account so right. it can be properly indexed and archived. But right. you might have some third party thing like Gmail you use just to avoid supervision by your official government agencies. Anyway, so um, and well, and it also seems like this story involves some spoofing, which you really can't control that. Uh, yeah. Uh, when someone has spoofed an email to make it look like it's come from you, um, not much you can do that about that except refute it and uh, make sure that <laughs> you know the people on the other end aren't aren't buying this crap as fact. Uh, but um, you know, I think that. 
I think that it's interesting. Um, I would be interested to know um, what it looks like on the administrative end as far as um, access logs go for um, for Gmail instances, especially ones that are uh, uh, hosted as part of, part of a or part of an organization, like a lot of colleges, um, for example, use Gmail as their. Yeah. Um, and I would yeah. assume for compliance reasons that they do provide the logs. Mm -hmm. I would think so. I'd think you'd have to. Yeah. All right. And then Caitlin's got loot boxes. Sorry, this, the sun is uh, getting in my eyes. Um, You're also so on yeah. fire. Yeah, I'm also on fire. Uh, sun is in my eyes. Um, everything's fine. Um, so the BBC has uh, an article uh, linking loot boxes to uh, problem gambling. Um, and this is something that's that grabbed my attention a long time ago. Like, God, it's been almost 10 years now. Um, so video games, ever since in-app purchases. So the idea behind in-app purchases is that you would be able to, or DLC, is that you would be able to download expansions for your software video games. So if you're running like Adobe, uh, you know, Workshop 10.2 and you want the Deluxe Hammer, you can, you know, go online and write in the application and buy the hammer upgrade. Um, and of course for video games, the idea was that you would be able to go online and buy the expansion to World War II Killer 10,000, you know, um, figure killer, you know, all the time. And, um, uh, but what ended up happening is that uh, manufacturers realized it was much more um, profitable to put in things like, um, what's what's called gachapon which is a japanese term for when you you throw in a quarter to a machine you turn a handle and out comes a a, a little bobble and you open it up and you don't know what you're going to get but you're going to get something um and and that's a lot like well it is essentially gambling um and i felt very uncomfortable when i saw this coming out at first because it was aimed towards little kids right you had like little star wars properties where you would open up a quote-unquote loot box and you would get Maybe you'd get Darth Vader. Maybe you would get, you know, Kylo Ren. You don't know what you're going to get. Maybe you'll get a stormtrooper. You don't know. Uh, but it encouraged kids to spend real money to open these loot boxes um, and get digital rewards. And of course, the companies were saying, well, it's not real gambling because you don't actually get money in return. It's just all virtual stuff. And I'm like, that's not really a you know, compelling argument here. Um, but I almost felt gaslit because you know how nerds are when things change, you know, in their medium, they get all upset. And, you know, I was like, am I just being overreacting here? Cause this really seems wrong. And I'm usually, I usually love change, but this seems wrong. And no, it turns out that, yeah, no, the stuff really is, is, you know, very much tied to gambling, very much uh, sparks the same neurons as gambling. Um, and, and they use the same tactics as, as gambling machines. So if you go to Las Vegas and you see their, their video game gambling machines and you look at the colors and the, the sounds and everything they use, they use the exact same thing in, in quote unquote loot boxes. And research is now showing that the same parts of the brain light up when you're actually in Vegas on the slot machines uh, as you get when you're you know, playing you know, space alien monster murder 4010 um, opening up a loot box, so. so. Maybe they should not allow that for like young kids or something. I mean, ideally you shouldn't really be allowing that at all. I mean, as far as I know, gambling is illegal uh, in most places in the United States, except for, you know, in you know, yeah. certain places like Las, like Las Vegas. Um, uh, but if, you're, you're, if your product is going to all houses in the United States, I mean, maybe stick to, if you're gonna 
have people pay for things online, pay for tangible or sort of, or I guess intangible content rather than chances to win something, you know? So you're a fascist that wants to implement in any state? Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to rule over all of you and tell you what video games should be and shouldn't be. <laughs> well, you look pretty much like that today. Why, thank you. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then Alan's got uh, Hack the Box with a bunch of money. Yes, from the world of venture capital, Hack the Box has raised a $10.6 million Series A round led by Paladin Capital. I have no idea what Paladin Capital is, but Hack the Box has been pretty prominent in cybersecurity education and training circles. A lot of people enjoy using their platform to learn how to hack and to refine their skills. And now it seems that the founders are intent on turning this into a viable business. And at 10.6 million, that's not a huge Series A, but you know, it's still some money. And uh, apparently these formerly little upstart kind of uh, uh, hacking diversion platforms are going to become a real thing with real money behind them. So this may be a harbinger of things to come. I think it is. You know, I, mean, I wrote my classes and I wrote my own projects. And now I'm increasingly just switching to these cloud-based platforms that are much better. I think this really is the future. Yeah, uh, I have to say that they've gotten a lot better in just the past couple of years, and there's so many more options than before. And I didn't know this because I actually haven't been on Hack the Box quite a, in quite a while, but uh, they've even launched something, Hack the Box has launched something called Hack the Box Academy. So I guess they're really getting into the training um, world. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this is very much the future. And uh, while venture capital is never entirely welcome in my book, uh, these platforms are not free to operate. So maybe a good thing for everyone. Yeah, I'm glad to yeah. see it. Hack the Box has been invaluable for the competition teams um, to practice on. And a lot of my students in um, my ethical hacking courses uh, make heavy use of it as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing more and more about it. I was just going over web vulnerabilities yesterday, and one of the students says, they implemented that one in a hack the box. You can do it live. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's it's so helpful for the, um, especially for the uh, pen testing team to use. Um, I mean, they, even when, even when Caitlin was on the team, um, they were using it every week. They'd get together over Discord and, um, hit a box together and uh it's uh, it's hard to find anything that's better than that for team practice yeah yeah definitely all right well that's it for today i guess we'll be back on monday